Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. I love summer. I gotta say, I'm a big summer fan, and this week yes. we got a we got a nice taste of it. That's right, and technically, the the day of the release of this podcast is the kickoff to summer, right? That's right. Well, that's, or the weekend is. Yeah, the, I mean, this is the unofficial kick. I mean, the actual summer happens after well, the, right, the solstice. The solstice, right? But um, this it feels that's like for summer. another month. No, that isn't for another weeks. month. So I will take the summer uh, that starts in Wisconsin. Uh, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend. That's right. And it, it was warm this week, so it's starting to actually feel like summer. Yes, it is. And can start, can start running outside again and enjoying it. And that also means it's time for Sunspot to perform outside at festivals and such. Yay. And so Memorial Day weekend is our first outdoor performance of the summer. So we're looking right. forward to that. We got a couple of them. Mm-hmm. actually this week so what else is happening that's exciting this summer wendy why don't you, why don't you tell me all about the excitement uh oh, that, that you were just mentioning before something before we really started. really exciting this week is happening well what, what could it be well you know our podcast is free and it it i'm assuming it always will be mm-hmm. but every so often someone asks oh hey how can i contribute how can i help i'm enjoying your free content and so we are going to launch a Patreon campaign, which is um, just an opportunity if anybody wants to just kick in a buck or two a month or whatever, anything, just help us cover the cost for the podcast. Yeah. And then the exciting thing is that we'll have some little bonuses and things for the people that um, that do that. Awesome. So that's that's one of the fun things. And I, I'm excited about the Patreon because it also gives us a chance to interact more directly with the people who've been listening. Yes. Yeah. So exactly. that if you're enjoying it. And you you know you put a uh, you put your money in the donation plate the collection plate every <laughs> every week for see you on the other side um, then it gives us a chance you know to suggest topics to you know to talk to the people who are enjoying it enough to financially throw in a buck or two every yeah. once in a while to help out the podcast and you can always communicate with us on Twitter um, you know I'm at Sunspot Wendy and I, I'm I'm at Sunspot Mike so pretty yes. much you you start sunspot and then you're going to find us like if you add sunspot you'll find one of us right so all that nothing is going to change but we're going to have some some extras and it's just going to be a fun fun little community kind of thing so i'm excited about that i'm excited about that too i'm also excited that we have launched our paranormal newsletter where we find the hottest oh, stories yeah. that's fine every week so we find the hottest stories every week uh in the world of that's... the unusual <laughs> and then we will uh, email you those. This is an email only newsletter. And uh, you can find that at othersidepodcast.com slash subscribe is yes. where you can. If you're not already on the email list, I know a lot of you listening are. If you're not on the email list yet, othersidepodcast.com slash subscribe. We got a free newsletter where you get uh, the latest paranormal stories and connections yeah. to pop culture and all the kind of fun stuff that we talk about on the show. But there might be topics that may not be in depth enough to cover on the show. Sure. It's kind of like a weekly roundup of the most exciting things that we were yeah. stumbling on. <laughs> right. It could be something <laughs> like, you know, like we're not going to have a whole episode on Ariana Grande, right? What? Oh. oh, I know. Well, maybe we will if she ever releases something resembling music. <laughs> we will do an episode on Ariana Grande. Funny. But um, anyway, so we're never going to do an episode on Ariana Grande, probably, unless we can get her as a guest. And then uh, we would. 
But we will mention it in the newsletter that there's like a dozen different times she believed in something crazy and talked about seeing a spirit or using the Ouija board. And so we find articles and things like that that maybe uh, you haven't had time to look at. So for the listener, we read the paranormal news so you don't have to. We sift through the And just la- send you the best or the most interesting. Right. We, <laughs> sift, we sift through the crazy stuff. Right. To get you to something interesting and something worthwhile reading, whether yes. it be weird science or ghosts or like latest reports, like in the newsletter this week, you know, these triangle UFOs that are being seen that, that you know, the MUFON site is reporting. Uh, Mutual UFO Network, you guys know, uh, move on. And so the, that site uh, and their blog is reporting this stuff all the time, different places across the country. And like to me, that's exciting because now you're seeing the same kind of craft in different areas. And like I wouldn't necessarily have picked up on that, but we troll through the different news sites and then present it to you. Yes, so anyway, exactly. just a couple of, between between Ariana Grande and Triangle UFOs, that's the kind of stuff you're going to find <laughs> in the See You on the Other Side paranormal newsletter that comes out uh, every Friday. So othersidepodcast.com slash subscribe. There you go. And you can always uh, reply to those too. And if you have any comments or things you want to share with us, we will get the message. So Yeah. And, and if there's anything, you know, if you guys see a paranormal story that you think is interesting, then tweet it at us. And that's something we'll look at for the podcast because we always include pieces of our commentary and thoughts on each one. And I mean, that, I guess that's the point. So that is the point. Yeah. You see, you see something interesting, <laughs> tweet it at Sunspot Mike or at Sunspot Wendy, and we'll take a look. All right. So that's that's good and exciting. And then that's part of the, that's part of the fun. Uh, this week, we kind of had a last minute guest. That's right. Yep. So um, we hadn't uh, we hadn't met this this gentleman before this character uh, this week, but we had a last minute cancellation, and he was kind enough to come on the show with very little notice. Very nice. And he's an interesting interesting character, indeed. From Baltimore. Baltimore. Uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't do the Baltimore thing with him. Baltimore special for our band Sunspot because that was our very first out of state show. That was the, the first time we, we <laughs> left Wisconsin. That first time we left Wisconsin, we left right for Baltimore. We even had we even put a Baltimore bust sign on oh the back gosh. of our truck. I forgot about that. We did. So we're driving. We're driving <laughs> three nerds. abreast, three abreast in a tiny Isuzu <laughs> pickup, pickup truck. truck. And no, it was a Nissan. Is a Nissan okay? Yeah. A tiny Nissan pickup truck, and it's got a. Um, we have a trailer, but it's not really a trailer. It's like the flatbed of a truck cut in half with a top on it. It's Get a pickup a, truck that got the, with the cab sawed off, basically. Yes, right. And so this a is a covered pickup truck. <laughs> we're driving around. It even has, has like a hand painted sunspot sign on the side. We have a Baltimore bus sticker on the back. And when we're driving through Ohio, we went bust. <laughs> That's right. Flat we, tire. We blew a tire in Holiday City, Ohio. <laughs> and we were planning on making it an easy trip by like staying over, you know, one night and things like that. But instead, it ended up being like a 27-hour drive straight to Baltimore from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And so that has a special place in our heart, showing yeah. up at the club at 9 o'clock in the morning. Right. Paloma's in Baltimore, and they let us load in at 9 o'clock in the morning. Like, somebody was there, and she's like, what do you guys want? We're like, we're the band. And she let us sleep, like, on the couches there until the hotel opened. So Well, Mike, there was something somewhat paranormal. I don't know if you remember this, but... As we were driving through the night through the mountains, mm-hmm. and Ben was sleeping, but you and I had like a shared hallucination. <laughs> oh, that's right. We did have a shared hallucination. We both kept seeing weird things on the side of the road, like this little like light 
glowing yeah. things. So it was on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, I, I believe, and we're in the, like the mountains there. And, you know, the side of the road, the rails would have um, like reflectors every right. couple of feet. And so we wouldn't just see the reflectors. We would see like something. Like a in, shadow of it. Like but it was in, glowing. <laughs> we'd see a glowing shadow in between the reflectors. Like a ghost reflector. Bingo. And we both saw it. And I mean, obviously, it's some kind of optical illusion. Yeah, and it this, was cool. <laughs> it, was, it was weird because I'm like, oh, that's weird. And I'm like, do you see that weird thing? And Wendy's like, yeah, I see that weird thing. And so we're both staring at it. Um, and we're rubbing our eyes because we're so tired. We've been up all right. day and all night. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So that was, a, that was a fun trip. Our first out-of-state show, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, a long time ago. And so that it always has a special place in our heart. But the thing is, that those kind of visual hallucinations tie into a little bit about what I talked about with Daniel. Oh, okay. Daniel basically is a paranormal enthusiast and somebody who's done investigations, but I mean, he's more of a entertainer, but not like an entertainer on the, um, like an actor or something. So he's a magician that's also worked with like carnival side, like religious revivals. Whoa, that's interesting. <laughs> okay, and so this is now that's different from anyone we've interviewed before. Yeah, and that's what we talk about a lot in the uh, in the interview. And so to give you some background, he's going to talk about this guy named Bob Larson a lot. And uh, Bob Larson is uh, a Christian evangelist who has had a radio, television shows, and I mean he's wrote numerous books on Satanism, rock music. Like think about the '80s when everybody had the Satanic Panic and stuff. I mean, Bob Larson was one of the leaders in that movement. He goes out, sets up a tent or something like that, or they rent an auditorium in a town, and then they have this big come to Jesus revival. Wow. Right? And so and Daniel- like, will, I am healed. Right. And, and so we, we, t- we mentioned this a little, a little, but there's a movie with Steve Martin called Leap of Faith. I remember that movie. Came out. Um, that was ooh, a good movie. It was a great movie. Came out like 24 years ago now. And what? Yeah. I remember. I think I saw that in your hood, Wendy. I saw that. Really? On, I saw that in North Shore because my parents had tickets to uh, <laughs> the premiere of Chaplin. Oh, funny! And they only had two tickets to it, so I had to go see a different movie <laughs> in the theater. <laughs> Send the so, kid off to a different theater, right? Nice. So I went to go see Leap of Faith. Anyway, so Leap of Faith. Steve Martin plays that meatloaf's in it. And there's some other good actors who are in it, and the, and the idea is that he plays. Uh, Steve Martin plays one of these evangelists that goes out, and they have people planted in the audience. And so the people be healed, people will be, you know, it's like, come actors. to me. Right. And, yeah. act, and actors will juice up the, the juice up the presentation. Right. So what Daniel was, he was the Satanist in the presentation. Oh my gosh. So he was the guy and he'd say crazy things oh, that he did to wow. worship Satan and in his rituals <laughs> and things. And he's like, well, I never was. I mean, he'll say it and talk about it in the interview. Yeah. But so, so Daniel is kind of a trickster. In that he's uh-huh. a magician, he's an entertainer, he's a guy that causes ripples a little bit in the paranormal community. We talk about that Zach Baggins threatens to sue him and things like that. Zach Baggins, oh. the host of Ghost Adventures, yeah. thre- threatens to sue him. Huh. And at various times, Daniel uh, Romanus has claimed to be a like a doctor, an archbishop, an exorcist. And people believe him and they put him on shows. So the idea is, like when we're watching these <laughs> so paranormal... Go ahead. Sorry. He is not an exorcist, you know, and he'll say that he's like, well, I, I played this character. Oh, and, I see. And the thing is, is that people would then interview him and 
they wouldn't do any background checking. They'd be like, oh, you're an exorcist? Great. Oh, you're you're with the church, oh right? Oh, sure, I'm with the church. They don't do any background checking, and they just put the person on the air. So that's the kind of thing that this is... Uh, I, I think that if you guys like to watch paranormal reality shows, it'll be a, a good lesson in how to take everything with a grain of salt. I see, okay. So Bob Larson... You know, this character that Daniel worked for, for for years, like he's in a he's in a vice special where he does exorcisms in Ukraine mm. with with three young women called the teenage exorcists oh kind of thing. And, you know, it's it's being purported as this is real, you know, and he he does exorcisms on Skype for two hundred ninety five dollars a pop. Oh. Right. So that's the kind of thing when people say they're exorcists, when people say they're all these kind of things make sure, you know. Because that sounds like a scam artist. That sounds like a scam artist, right? A guy that used to have these evangelical things where he'd claim that people would come up and he'd convert a Satanist. Yeah. You know, you'll be healed by the Lord or God yeah. kind of thing. So that's just a little background on, on, on Daniel Romanus. And we'll talk about his interest in all different kinds of occult fiction, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, how he got into magic because he's a magician and an illusionist and he does something called bizarre magic. Fun. <laughs> so let's jump in and, and see... And hear about Daniel Ruminos's bizarre magic. Today, joining us from Baltimore is uh, an entertainer with a paranormal bent, and we're talking to uh, Daniel Ruminos, and he's going to tell us all about his weird adventures. Thank you for joining us today, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Just to get started out, for the people who might not be familiar with your weird adventures and, and the kind of things you do. Can you give me a quick elevator pitch or summary, a little bit about your paranormal life? All right. Well, primarily, I, I consider myself a writer and an entertainer. I write uh, paranormal detective fiction based in part upon uh, experiences that I've had, but I don't, uh, I don't claim that they're fact. But um, I do that, and I'm also an entertainer. I do uh, magic, illusion, mentalism, uh, especially a form called uh, bizarre magic, which is uh, a form of uh, stage magic that, that uses words and storytelling along with more traditional illusions as a presentation. Very cool. And I, I love that term, bizarre magic. I think, I think that really sets it apart. So what would be an example of bizarre magic, or a, 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 I, I don't want to say trick, but what would be the a, in a kind of bizarre magic act? What would be some of this? What would be an example of the kind of thing you'd perform? Well, uh, a performer of bizarre magic, which may be called a bizarre magician or a bizarrist, some prefer to be called, um, would, for the most part, begin by telling a story. Uh, some use classic fiction, uh, horror, fantasy, science fiction, mystery stories. Some use Edgar Allan Poe or uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle or H.P. Lovecraft. Others, like myself, have uh, our original writings. And somewhere during the presentation, just to give one possible example, uh, something may happen which makes it look like that what the... uh, person is presenting may be real, like uh, you may see the, the person may be talking about uh, uh, their character was 
fighting uh, some evil demonic force who could make the uh, uh, lamps in the room levitate, and then suddenly a lamp in the room seems to levitate through the use of illusion, of course. I'm not claiming to actually be able to do this. But that's the sort of thing that could be done in a just as one of many possible examples in a, in a bizarre magic uh, performance. Sure. Well, that sounds that sounds really cool. I, lo- uh, I love the idea of bringing in some kind of story into the magic performance, and and that makes it sound even more fun. And if you're from Baltimore, then I, I'm like that's the home of Edgar Allan Poe, so I can see why a lot of people would start with those kind of stories. Yes. Well, Baltimore has uh, has a. Uh, uh, Actually, a tradition of that sort of thing that unfortunately a lot of people uh, not from here don't know about. Actually, uh, there's an area of Baltimore called Fells Point, which is by the waterside, which according to some accounts is the most supposedly haunted area in North America. Um, it's, it has a lot of old uh, saloons and taverns. It was a, a sailor's hangout at one time. And also, it, it is the place. Uh, there's a bar there called uh, The Horse You Came In On, which is actually the place where Edgar Allan Poe had his last drink uh, the night before he died. Oh, wow. So th- th- that sounds like it'd be a good place to go do a podcast sometime. The Horse You Rode In On in Baltimore and Fells Point. And I- I'm going to have to investigate more about Fells Point because that sounds like fun. But let- let's, go sure. back, let's go back into some of your history. And uh, I'm always interested in how people got involved in this in the first place like sometimes it comes from an experience they had when they were a kid sometimes it comes from they just liked reading the books and always checked them out from the library or seeing a certain show or what was maybe the the your origin point you know your your origin story of, of where you where you decided like hey this getting into weird stuff uh is for me it just seemed to, to <laughs> come at me for very various you <laughs> i can remember uh, shows i saw on uh Television when I was a kid, um, in those days it was in search of with Leonard Nimoy, which was a, a the, as far as I can concern, the classic paranormal show. Uh, agreed. We talk we talk about in search of all the time. Right. No offense to fans of the current shows, but I think they absolutely pale by comparison. Um, there was that, and uh, and also uh, when I was oh uh, Nine years old, I would have been. I became familiar with uh, the Dracula Society of Maryland, which was a a horror film fan club, which uh, um, I'm sure we can talk more on later. Sure. And I became a member of that. So it just was really the whole thing. And then reading books on magic and uh, um, Harry Houdini and uh, Blackstone the Magician, the great classic ones. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and all of that, and it just this all came together that my interests were going to be along uh, those lines. Well, that's cool. What about what age did you start actually, you know, performing magic and illusions and things like that? Because I, I feel like when I was a kid, I just didn't have the hand-eye coordination to be able to handle like a magic trick that you buy at Disney World or something like that. Well, that, that, that's that's uh, that's often the case, uh, but there are you know you know there are many different types of types of. Uh, Magic. So uh, I don't want to discourage any any people, young people especially, who may be interested in. It. If you can't do one kind, if you can't do sleight of hand, try uh, mentalism. You know, something like that. But I I can't even really remember when I first got into that. I must have been very young, like six or seven around that, that age. 
my first was reading books on magic. Pretty much as soon as I could read, that's what I grabbed a hold of. Sure. <laughs> so, and uh, trying things out, see what I could do. Sure. What kind of authors did you like to read when you were a kid? Like looking at some of your work on uh, the Weird Adventures, and we're going to have a link to the Weird Adventures in the show notes where you'll be able to find more and you'll be able to read some of Daniel's writing for people listening at home. What would you say were some of those influences on that writing uh, that you developed? Well, very young, I, I was reading the classic uh, gothic horror writers, Edgar uh, Allan Poe, uh, Mary Shelley, Bram Stoker, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, M.R. James, D.F. Benson. Uh, I could go on and on. I'm sure I'll remember others that I should have mentioned, sure. but uh, also classic authors along those lines, and some of the and eventually I got into the, the newer ones that were coming up then. I, and I can remember some of uh, reading some of Stephen King's early earliest stuff um, when I was very young, mm-hmm. and a bit later I got more into uh, um, H.P. Lovecraft very much. Uh, you see, Lovecraft, really, I, I can remember when very few people knew who Lovecraft was. Unless you were like this really uh, extreme horror geek, you didn't know who he was. But now he's, well, he's coming into his own uh, so long after his death as, as even being accepted as a classic author. And you can buy... Uh, uh, really nice editions of his work among you know the classical classic collections. No, I remember when you buy H.P. Lovecraft, and it would just be like in cheap paperbacks, you know, somewhere at the back of the thing, and it's all public domain stories, so it'd be like two bucks. Cheap little paperbacks that they acted like were a little better than pornography, which they aren't <laughs> at all, but I mean, that's what people <laughs> acted like. That's right. because it came out of the Pulp Fiction era, when, when uh, people just considered it disposable entertainment, and of course, Today, uh, people don't understand that this is before television and uh, even before radio in some cases. And uh, reading was something that a lot more people use for entertainment than they do now. So Mm -hmm. there were a lot more different types of writing available, and that just happened to be the area that he was able to uh, eke out a living in, writing for pulp magazines. he um, was by far one of the, the best writers in in that uh, area, and and eventually came in and came into his own uh, long after his death. Right, and now we're finding that H.P. Lovecraft is you know his influence is felt everywhere, from you know True Detective on HBO to the latest horror movies. Will you know name check right. a, name check a character, but you know I'll call him Lovecraft or something like that. And so it's just it's always funny to to see some of that. Um, Almost a century after, you know, after the man is gone and a century after he's done his writing. So did you come from a, a family that was into this kind of stuff or were your parents into any kind of uh, like horror or UFOs or anything like that? Or is it something that you kind of had to develop without any kind of guidance? To a certain extent. My mother, I remember uh, years ago, claimed to me that... Uh, when I was a little baby, she used to, to hold me in her arms and put the, the bottle in my mouth and hope I would be quiet while she was watching uh, the classic Gothic uh, soap opera, Dark Shadows. So mm-hmm. that was like what I was doing as a tiny little baby. I was sitting in front of uh, Barnabas Collins, the vampire, out 
you know, uh, stalking his victims. <laughs> so I suppose it's, uh, even though I don't consciously remember that, I suppose it's kind of a, an influence. <laughs> yeah, well, today, you don't, the, the soap operas are almost all gone, and, you know, people don't remember the fact that uh, soap opera, I mean, it was every, like, people would really get into soap operas. I mean, people would watch this every day, a lot of people who were at home, and Dark Shadows was this great one when it came to just subtle, not really subtle, but I mean, it's a supernatural, like a supernatural soap opera. And so I remember I would watch the reruns and everything like that. And, you yeah. know, looking at it today, it's the cheesiest thing in the world. Shot on black and white video. And Jonathan Frid, the guy that played Barnabas Collins, um, they always had, the, you know, the, the worst makeup. I didn't think special effects could get worse than 70s Doctor Who, but Dark Shadows seemed, oh, right, to, right. seemed to have accomplished well, that. Another, another one of my early influences, by the way, Doctor Who, man. So, that, that started came okay, to this country in the, the 70s and I latched onto that right away. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So it's all so you're kind of getting into this you like weird fiction and you're starting into get to like paranormal literature and like we talked about all those great authors that you you name checked earlier. And you know, I remember a certain point in my upbringing when I was sick of just reading about it and I'm like, "Well, I want to go check this stuff out." And so you would go find a place that had some kind of urban legend about it. And I grew up in southeastern Wisconsin, and there were a few things in Milwaukee, and there was always urban legends around the, the, the suburb, the small suburb that I grew up in. But um, at what point were you like, you know what? I love all this cool things that I'm reading about and the fiction and everything. Um, let's, let's go see if there's anything behind it. What, what age did you kind of get into that? Actually, it was maybe a bit later than the horror film stuff. Uh, Maybe I was uh, 11, 12, and on into my early teens. Actually, going back to the very beginning of that, that would bring me back to uh, there were often uh, um, lectures in those days by what we would call uh, ghost hunters now, and some of these people were, were uh, kind of legendary at the time. I actually remember seeing Hans Holzer. My mother actually took me to see him. It wasn't in Baltimore. I think it was in Philadelphia. It would give, give you some idea how young I must have been. I don't completely remember where it was. I remember seeing uh, Hans Holzer, who, for those who don't know, was a very well-known paranormal researcher uh, oh, during yeah. the uh, 70s and 80s especially, and on to his death early this century. Um, and I remember seeing him and some other uh, interesting, but not as well-known as him individuals. Um, so that sort of came out of that as well. And, and sure, I would uh, um, go into uh, um, cemeteries. There's an area in southeast Baltimore right outside the city where there are several miles that are mostly cemeteries. <laughs> so I would, I would go into those and just basically walk around and try to absorb whatever uh, was or was not there. You know, did you ever see, did you ever see was. anything weird on those initial, you know, like what was your, what was your first, you would say, paranormal experience? Well, you see, I don't really like to say paranormal experience because, you know, I, I find some people take that too, too, too seriously now, but uh, it was never something that I completely disbelieved in, but I, I can't ever say I've ever had proof 
of the paranormal. I've had things that uh, could be. I've had things that I thought I saw, like I thought for a second I saw a figure there, but probably didn't. So it's hard to tell. Paranormal, I think, if it is a reality, I think it's something that can't be ultimately proven. I think it's like a thing almost of faith, like uh, religious faith. I mean, if, if just think about it. If, if God exists, and I believe that he does, uh, then why would uh, things that should be accepted as faith be able to be proven scientifically? So I, I don't think the paranormal will ever be proven scientifically. And of course, there you have the uh, the problem that if something that's considered paranormal is proven to be true, then it's no longer considered paranormal. So uh, well, that it changes that, immediately. Yeah, and that goes back to the entire uh, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, they talk about how um, God says that uh, he comes down and says, "Without faith, without faith, I am nothing." And by proving his existence by coming down and saying that everybody starts believing in him because it's scientifically proven. Right. And then it's right. like, well, because it's not faith anymore because you believe, you know, because you believe it because it's real and then poof, he disappears. So, and that just yeah. made me think of, cause uh, yesterday we're talking on um, May 26th, Thursday, May 26th. Yesterday was towel day. Uh, so it's a day that everybody celebrated Douglas Adams and the hitchhikers got to the galaxy and, and your, no, uh, right, sure. your comment just made me, made me think about that because that is something um, that I think that uh, we tend to think that, well, if something is going to be, you know, if a paranormal event or if it's a ghost or a spirit or or something that we can't explain is real, then it will have some kind of scientific explanation. And when you have things that appear out of the corner of your eye or feelings or, you know, stuff that can't be quantified, it's going to be really hard to prove that with some kind of meter or or some kind of camera uh, that you actually you actually saw something. So I think that's a good point that, that you know paranormal things a lot of times it might be a reality that we can't quite measure or perceive with our physical instruments. So when you say you know you when you when you went out and you saw something or felt something or heard something that you don't know if it's a paranormal experience, it's because it's it's something you can't explain. And you know I when I think about these paranormal reality shows and, and TV shows and stuff. It does, it does feel an awful lot like everybody's doing, doing a really good job of explaining things that they have no idea of what they're explaining. Yes, yes and like I, as, as, a, as a magician and illusionist, the whole thing is understanding how easily the, the human eye, the human ear, ultimately the brain itself can be fooled. So, I mean, it, you can't really say that anything that you've observed is proof of anything. That doesn't mean that it's not real, but you can't prove that it's real. And even things on recording, video, or audio, still that that has to be played through your perceptions, which are, you know, less than perfect. So you can't really prove that. Like like the whole thing with uh, electronic voice phenomenon, I knew what that was the moment I heard of it because... I grew up in Baltimore. Baltimore is a noisy place. If you're at all, if you're at all uh, sensitive to noise, you have to have some way to deal with that in order to sleep. <laughs> right, <laughs> when yeah. we were children, when we were children, our mother had in each room one of those white noise machines. 
you can buy them now. They're called spa sounds, soothing sounds, or something. So something, so something we would do as kids to, uh, you know, an idle moment to uh, amuse ourselves would be turn on the white noise machine and listen to it like you hear voices in it, and you will. Yeah, absolutely. It's as simple as that. <laughs> well, that and that's when I when I hear the spirit box and, and stuff. Um, you know, I'm not saying that people aren't getting you know actual spirits talking through the spirit box, but a lot of times I think it takes so much of your own brain to come up with what that spirit box is saying that it's like, well, if if something is talking to you, it's talking to you through your brain because nobody else is picking it up through this box. And I don't mean to say that, you know, because because when I when you were talking about um, how the mind and, you know, it can be and the eyes can be fooled, um, a lot of it, you know, makes me think of I, I do a lot of an uh, investigation of more. I look for the haunted history of places and I, I'm interested in urban legends around various sites and everything. And so you'll interview people that work at, at these places. And when you interview those people, they will tell you about an experience that they honestly believe happened to them. You know, they'll be like, you know what? This is what happened to me. And so when somebody goes, well, do you think the place is really haunted? All I can say is, I, you know, I don't know if it's haunted or not, but what I can tell you is that something happened to this person and I believe that they believe in it, you know? And, oh, sure. and I think that's, I think that's as close as we're going to get to proof until, until a ghost walks out of the room and shakes our hands. Um, myself. But, but speaking of that, I was, you know, when I was doing some research on you, uh, and, uh, you know, we found out you're going to have you on the show. Uh, I started looking into, and it, it seems like you've done, so, you've done some time with exorcism. During the 1990s, I worked on a show with, with a person. Uh, he's actually a carny, a carny type background, but people think that he's an actual evangelist. His name is Bob Larson. Okay. And he, he, he did a... Uh, a traveling show, and he's, he's still around now, and uh, and I was in it. I played the part in the show of of uh, a, a black magician, a, a Satanist or devil worshiper or whatever, and I was like also like this sex vampire type of thing. I could uh, seduce seduce young women with black magic and everything. And he would be doing his show preaching about how he had the power of God. Over and first, let me say I'm saying nothing against anyone with religion whatsoever. This will show business. Sure. Um, at least that's the way I see it. He would say he had the power of God over demonic spirits and everything, and I, I was, and I was paid for this. I would appear out of the audience wearing all black with those stereotypical goth makeup and all of that, and say I am the the, uh, the messenger of, of Satan, and I come against you in the name of the Dark Lord and all of that, and he would take out his big silver crucifix and say, supposed exorcism, and calm me down and chase out the demons. And then, then the, next, the next day we would travel to the next city and do it all over again. Now, I did this for years and years, and eventually left his show, and this was around the turn of the century, around uh, 2000, the early 2000s, and I didn't want... I didn't want to be known as a, a Satanist because I'm not one. So I decided that I was going to change sides as far as the show business uh, thing goes and do the exorcism thing for a while. Uh -huh. So I, 
I did that and used the stage name and appeared on a few paranormal shows as an exorcist and left very quickly when I found out people were taking it far too seriously. But by coincidence, and it's just coincidence as far as I know, this was around the same time that shows like Ghost Hunters and others like that started and people started taking this kind of thing very seriously when before it, a lot of people would have just uh, whistled at it and said, oh, all right, that's just uh, that's just a radio show or whatever. I was on George Norrie's show and uh, uh, Joshua, Joshua P. Warren's show and oh, a few sure. other ones around that time. As, 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 as a sp- so I'm thinking about this. When I, when I think about when you're talking about the, the Evangelical Road Show, I think about that Steve Martin movie, Leap of Faith. All right, sure. <laughs> it's, it's, they send up the tents outside a city. They go in, they have a revival for two or three days, and you know they would have the people in the audience like, this is the person with a, um, the broken leg we're going to heal. This is the person whose relationship we're going to save. And you were the soul that they saved when they were turning, turning you around from a life of Satan. Sure, sure. It's just, just uh, uh, Bob Larson's presentation was, was, was more extreme. He, 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 he was more extreme than most uh, evangelists and that he was openly uh, an exorcist fighting the forces of evil and all that. So, yes, actually, he, he's doing another one now. I have nothing to do with him anymore, but after I left, he has a new shtick. Um, he has three uh, young female models who wear, like, schoolgirl outfits and call themselves the Teenage Exorcist. <laughs> All right, that sounds like a I band. I'm serious. I can serious. You can look this up. <laughs> the thing is, people take this seriously. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing about exorcism, I mean, people do take exorcism very seriously now. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with these paranormal reality shows where they will have, like, live exorcisms on TV and, and things like that. And, you know, I think about some of my friends that have been involved in ghost hunting groups that have like a criminal justice background and they were really interested in it first and, and they would go in, they would do interviews with the, with the families that were having problems, you know, with it like, Oh, poltergeist, there's stuff flying around the kitchen and all these things. And, uh, you know, I would talk to my friends who were involved and they just say, well, I'm not really interested in that, that much anymore because they felt that they were just dealing with a lot of families where there was abuse and not, you know, there was something underlying the paranormal activity and it wasn't the devil, and it wasn't ghosts, and it wasn't a poltergeist. Yeah, you'll you'll often find out that it's it's, it's a abuse or or addiction of some sort, something like that. But as far as also seeing seeing the things, when I was doing that show, we would add effects. I would like when I did the thing uh, by the, the power of whatever and all that, and raised my arms. We, we would have the lights in the auditorium flicker, or. Uh, or sometimes if we were really bold and this, this, we should have done, we did, we would have the, the, the fire alarms go off. And the thing is, people would scream and people would, would believe it. And, um, and uh, what's more, they would claim that they saw more than they actually did. So that, that's why when people get in this emotional state and believing in these things, they will think they see more than is actually there. Well, when you set up as an exorcist, did you find, you know, I mean, people would, would really come to you believing that they were possessed or something like that and be like, I need, I need you to get me, or was it, uh, you know, so you'd have your show probably and you, and you, and you, did, you did your show and that was fun. And then did you have people saying like, you know, can you really help me? Because we did a show on Houdini 
uh, maybe three weeks ago, we did a show on Houdini and, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle when they had that, that new TV show started. And one thing is that sure. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was always convinced that Harry Houdini wasn't just an illusionist, wasn't just an escape artist, but yeah. was a real supernaturally powered magician. He, he did believe that. There's, there's a letter that, uh, among their correspondence, when, uh, when Houdini was doing his investigations of what we would call paranormal now, um, Conan Doyle wrote to him and said, and said uh, my good man, why, why are you always looking for proof for something of which you yourself are the proof? Because <laughs> he actually, he, he did believe it. He believed that he believed that, he believed that Houdini's deception wasn't making people believe he could do things he couldn't. He believed Houdini was deceiving his audience by claiming it was all illusion. And would you find people coming to you to to actually look for some kind of supernatural guidance and and, and things like that? Well, when I was doing it by that time, in the early two thousands, it had gotten more away from the the personal the person believing they were possessed and back to the person believing that they were evil spirits in their house and things like that. So they would call me and ask me to do like a uh you know, an exorcism of their house, which is actually considered a house blessing, which according to uh even Catholic belief anyone can do. You don't even really have to be a priest. So uh that's that's not really uh the same thing, but at, at that time it had gotten around to that being the thing. So I, I didn't really, by that time, encounter anyone who personally believed they they were possessed. Did you run into a lot of people though who you know? Because I've met a lot of through this and um, through my interest in haunted history and tours, and um, I've met a lot of people who uh, claim to be psychics and mediums. As someone like yourself who understands mentalism and magic when you were playing around the exorcism field and house blessings and when you would see the other people who were doing those kind of things, uh, who may be not as, not as free to say that, well, I don't know if this is really supernatural kind of stuff. Um, did you see any kind of particular tricks or anything in particular that you saw other people using that you obviously knew they were magic? Sure. Most of it, most of it is, it's along the, uh, the field of, uh, Mentalism. Unfortunately, as a performer who uses some of these things, I can't openly say what they are. But sure. but but anyone who wants to study it, I mean, it's not like the books; you can't get them. Anyone can get a book on uh, uh, classic stage mentalism and find out how this stuff is done. It's just that people don't want to believe that that's the case. People want to believe this is real. But more often than not, like I was talking about with the shows that we used to do. People claim that they see more than the performer or supposed psychic actually even presents to them. That their mind creates more things than than they you even have to show them. So when you got out of the uh, you know the exorcism field and the house blessing and things like that, so you I'd say around the mid two thousands was kind of I mean we were talking about you know in search of and things of before, but then the glut of uh, cable channels. They needed shows, whether it's History 2 or whether it's, you know, the thousands of Discovery channels that they have out there. They're always looking for, I mean, I think we're, in the mid-2000s started like a new golden age, maybe not golden, but a new age of paranormal documentaries. 
So did you find that the, the kinds of magic you were doing, the kinds of performances you were putting on, the kind of entertainment you were creating, did, did you see a jump in demand from, from those TV shows kind of helping to create it? It did. And that, that is actually what I was bit now got to the point that I was uncomfortable even letting people think for a minute that what I was doing was real. It just made me uncomfortable after a while. So I saw some people who were seriously in need of help. First of all, need, need to be told that their problem wasn't supernatural. So, so I, I got out of not interest in the subject. I'm still very interested in it. But as far as presenting myself as being anything in any way uh, real or supernaturally powered, I, I, I'm always careful, at least as careful as I can be, to say that if I put on a show, it's it's illusion. If I write a a story, any supernatural elements in that story are presented as fiction. But of course, if you look very closely on these TV paranormal shows now, there are disclaimers. It, it says this is presented for entertainment only, but people don't seem to see that. I know those those disclaimers are really just there for legal reasons, but people really should pay attention to that, I think. I really wish that they would. So when you were appearing on these shows, let's say you appeared on Coast to Coast or, or any of the different kinds of paranormal shows where you made an appearance, what kind of vetting did they do? You know, so just to give people an idea, if you're watching these paranormal shows uh, and you're wondering about the reality of all, all the pieces of it, what kind of vetting do they do of your background? Before they asked you to be on, originally, like when I was on uh, when I was on coast to coast, and 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 uh, this was uh, early in uh, George Norrie's uh, tenure after Art Bell. Left. I'm a big fan of Art Bell, by the way. Oh, man, uh, everybody, I, we all we all love Art Bell. Whatever drama he's got going on in his life, where right, he's right. on radio for 15 right, minutes, and there's somebody with a gun in his backyard, and he's like, "I'm I have to go away for a while." <laughs> But uh, this was uh, George Story. And, and actually, I, I didn't even contact them. They contacted me. Uh, I don't know where they heard about me and said, we want to have you on uh, this Friday night. And it was, I think, Wednesday. And it was uh, Tom Danheiser, one of the producers. And, and I said, uh, all right. Um, and they had gone by a, a, a one-page website that I had that presented me under the name uh, Father Daniel Gargilio, the Catholic uh, priest and exorcist, which basically I had set up. Uh, I really don't even know why now. As I, as I said, after my experience with the Bob Larson show, I just wanted to do some entertainment on the other side. Maybe maybe deep down I have some, some superstitions of my own, but I don't think so. And... And so they set me up for that, and there it was. They didn't know background at all towards finding out if uh, I was really a priest or anything. Now, a couple of days after I was on, uh, the producer called me again and said, we, we've gotten calls saying that they called up the, the Roman Catholic uh, Archdiocese of Baltimore, and they say you're not really a priest. Well, I had never said I had anything to do with Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Baltimore, which I don't. Right. I, I'm not. I'm not a Roman Catholic priest. Never have been. Never would be. But 
because I had a website, and there are others doing this now, I won't mention any names, who refuse to uh, have the slightest bit of honesty about it, who have websites right now claiming they are Catholic priests, claiming they are bishops, claiming they are exorcists, who simply are not. And they can use technicalities and say, well, we, we don't claim that we're Roman Catholic. We have our own church, our own little church that we founded or whatever. The point is, people don't understand that. They see the word Catholic, they see the word priest or bishop or exorcist, and they think they know what that is, and they think it's something that's actually not. Well, you know, I think that's interesting because you do get, you know, books written by exorcists or, or things. And in the United States, we have the uh, AMA, you know, the American Medical Association, and doctors have a board where they have to right. the people go through rigorous examination and things like that to make sure that you're comfortable when this person cuts open your body and plays with your organs or whatnot. Yes, yes. I, I, I can't put a website up that says, I'm doctor, whatever and I'm a licensed surgeon, and then did not happen to mention that I'm not licensed by the American Medical Association. I can't get away with that. That's illegal, and it should be. But with religion, because it's an unfortunate side effect of freedom of religion. I believe in freedom of religion completely. Of course. But it's an unfortunate side effect of it that it can't be regulated like uh, medicine is and, and other, other things that, that affect a person's health, and religion does affect a person's health. When I was doing some research too, like you guys did the evangelical stuff and, and you had your show business and the entertainment and the, the exorcism. And I, of course, people were eating that up. But um, I like the other part that it's like you, you seem almost like a paranormal trickster, I think would be a, a, good, way, a good way to put it. Because um, like when you do things like, okay, well, I'm going to be an exorcist and then I'm gonna, it's going to be entertainment and stuff. And let's see what happens. And it looks like. You've caused some ripples in the uh, paranormal community almost by people who are making more, uh, let's say, religious slash spiritual slash supernatural claims than yourself by being a, a paranormal trickster. Did you get in some kind of online fight with Zach Baggins? Is that what I saw? Actually, uh, Zach, I've, I've never met him in person. To tell you the truth, when all this happened, I had never seen, even seen an episode of Ghost Adventures. I, I hadn't. I hadn't just hadn't seen that one. Uh, when suddenly he started repeating something he had heard from a, from a person on his show, a person I'll have to name names here, but this person was on uh, Ghost Adventures, a man named uh, James Wong, who claims to be a, a Catholic archbishop and exorcist, who, to me, it just looks like he's doing my old act. Sure. But he... he dug up the stuff about when I was in Bob Larson's show the decade before that and told Zach that I was secretly uh, a Satanist and a devil worshiper and I used black magic to, uh, to uh, seduce the young ladies. And basically that, that's what I spend my days and nights doing, for God's sake. And then Zach went online and told his... Uh, Fans on Facebook and Twitter that this was this was true about me, and James Long, by the way, has done this with other people as well. So you'll you'll see it, sure, see it elsewhere. 
and uh, and uh, that 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 did cause some problems for a while. And so I, I I said some things back to him, and he he threatened to sue me, and uh, that was uh, 2012. So four years ago almost, and it still hasn't happened. So. Right. Well, I'm always interested in that. You know, I've seen some episode of Ghost Adventures. And I've met Jeff Belanger, who I know who, who has done some research and stuff like that for that show. And uh, Jeff Belanger, I think, is a, a magnificent haunted historian um, as far as his research. I actually knew, well, pardon to interrupt, but just to oh, make clear, ahead. I actually know Jeff Belanger pretty well. He has a video knocking around somewhere of me doing uh, a Greek Orthodox exorcism at a home in uh, Coventry, Rhode Island. So... Let's just leave that where it is. That, that's a fact. If you have may want to mention it on Sunday, if you speak with. <laughs> well, no, and I uh, and so I I enjoy that. So to me, to see someone who's very, I, I feel like he's even handed and uh, intelligent and not. <laughs> he's a good guy. I haven't heard him say anything against anyone, yeah, which he, is unusual. He's, he's not sens- he's not sensationalist at all. And so I, you know, I, I see that, and then you see the different people. I mean, because the people who have paranormal reality shows. Obviously, they've got an identity to protect because that their identity is based on people believing in the veracity of the things that they do. Unlike a, a magician right. or an illusionist, where your idea, you know, you're, it's based on entertainment. Like on this show, we try to find the places where the entertainment and the paranormal kind of kind of meet up and, and get together. Um, because we when we talk about you know you were talking about your experiences, or I talk about the, some of the things I've experienced, like. If you try to get into an explanation of it, you are always going into the realm of fiction anyway, because you're just trying to figure out some explanation in your head. I remember that I was on a, a ghost a ghost tour in the Wisconsin Dells, which is a, a little tourist town in the uh, south central Wisconsin. And the ghost tour is pretty fun. They take you on a little bus, and you're going to see things. And then you know somebody says to the guide like hey you know i had a i had a ghost experience and they they think they're in a safe place trying to share the experience you know and the the guy just goes hmm what you were dealing with is a demon now that's that's some scary stuff so the ghost guide tells some poor guy or poor lady you know that what she experienced in her house there's a demon in her house he doesn't know that there's a demon in her house this sort of thing goes way back except that it used to be a smaller group of people doing it, like the old uh, Amityville case, and you can say well, about that, whatever whatever you want, but there were basically two uh, well-known investigators at the time who, who popularized that. One was one was Hans Holder, and one was Warren. And they were just exactly what you just, what you just said. The Warrens swore that it was all demons. Hans Holder believed that it was all human spirits, ghosts, because that's what he believed in from his research and belief. And then basically they were at odds with, with each other for years over that. Um, and and, and but that, that was, see, in those days, there were some fewer uh, self-proclaimed paranormal investigators that uh, um, it wasn't like it is now. Where you, it's constant. If you go on any social media, you'll find them... Uh, blocking each other left and right because they disagreed with each other's theory as to whether that was a ghost or a demon. Right, and that's and I think that's so that's so ridiculous. And interesting, I just was thinking about Ed and Lorraine Warren today. We're probably going to do an episode about them in a couple of weeks because 
The Conjuring 2 is opening. All right. And yeah. uh, The Conjuring was based on the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And there's obviously differences between the film and the... That, that actually kind of mystifies me. They've mystified the magician here. How do you do a, a sequel to a film that was based on reality that um, is based on something that supposedly actually happened that somehow when you made the first film, uh, you didn't know about yet? I, I, don't, I don't quite understand that. Well, they did, <laughs> they did make four, like four Amityville horror movies. Of, of de- right, right. I, I think eventually they admitted that they were friction <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> of, try, I'm sure people believe it was all real. Of decreasing quality. And, you know, I, I always think, Amityville, I always think is an interesting case because the, one of the first books I ever read on paranormal investigation was by an author named Lloyd Auerbach, who, it, oh, yeah. who since we've had him on the show, and he goes in depth in his book, ESP, Hauntings and Poltergeists. He goes really in depth on why Amityville isn't real you know he he debunks it piece by piece and um and so i'm all, i always have a special because that was like the first debunking i ever read of anything so i, I the amityville case always has a special place in my heart because i think of that book and being like 14 years old and going oh man this is so awesome yeah. uh anyway i really like the amityville case as a as a, as a fan of uh, horror story writing especially uh jay anson's original I'll call it a novel. They actually Hoffer was presented as such. It's pretty good. Uh, but so, so um, my, my theory, uh, whether the Lutz family really experienced anything there or not, and they may have experienced something, I think they uh, consciously or not exploited it because they were in a home that they, they found out they couldn't really afford to stay there. And they had to have a good excuse to leave. I think that's basically the root of it. To tell you the truth. That doesn't mean they, they didn't experience something or not. I realized I wasn't there, so I can't say for sure. Well, it certainly turned out to be lucrative for them. So uh, what, whatever their plan was, it, it worked. You know, going a little bit more on that, uh, the fiction based on reality, paranormal stories and stuff like that. When you're writing up your weird adventures and you have uh, a, a series of short stories on your website, The Weird Adventures, where have you been taking some of your uh, influences for that? Are some of those like paranormal stories you've heard? Or, I mean, because it seems like as someone that was, um, hasn't been involved in the entertainment aspect of it and, and dealt in the live performance aspect of it a lot, I assume you've probably heard people's personal stories on a lot of different occasions. I've, as far as my stuff goes, I, it, it, my writing is just based on a conglomeration of everything, uh, other fiction, uh, facts, and supposed, supposed facts, uh, things that I've heard from people, things that are fairly well-known as far as public, uh, well-known cases of supposed paranormal, and uh, it's basically a conglomeration of uh, everything. And I tend to just throw together all of the genres. Another thing that that influenced me as a child, obviously, was uh, comic books. I'll admit that. And I I like the idea that Marvel comic books, especially Marvel and NBC, did something that other fiction writers seem to have often been afraid to do. Their characters openly mix science fiction and 
supernatural horror fiction uh, together in some of the same series. Oh, sure. And that, that is something that I've found that fiction writers seem to be afraid to do. Lovecraft did it to a certain extent, but I can't really think of many others that have. They either write science fiction and all of it, no matter how weird it is, is some supposed scientific explanation, or they write supernatural horror fiction where everything has some supposed uh, religious or supernatural or occult um, explanation. But fiction writers, many of them seem to halt at the idea of mixing these two universes. And I don't see any reason why in a fictional universe they can't both exist. Why can't there be uh, the, the evil uh, fungus from Pluto and the... Uh, the uh, demons from hell in the same story. Why not? Well, I, I, you know, I think that's a good point because that is something I even realized as a little kid in that you'd either have a science fiction, you know, TV show or you'd have a paranormal supernatural TV show. And they didn't, they didn't often blend. I mean, Masters of the Universe was like a, a kid's uh, toy franchise or a kid's toy line that they, um, they mixed the science fiction aspect of it with the fantasy aspect of it. But I always thought that was unusual. I was like, you know, Marvel did, did that really well. And I think this year we'll see the Doctor Strange movie, where now we will have an actual the, magic, supernatural aspect of the Marvel right. Cinematic Universe. The, 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 the Doctor Strange and uh, Thor and the Hulk and, and Captain America and Iron Man can all exist in the same universe. It's kind, of, kind of interesting. I think it, it put down comic book writers like they put down pulp writers. It, it may, I think it may be more difficult to pull that off because people kind of look askance at it than it, than it is to stay along uh, lines that you think people will uh, accept immediately, like only supernatural or only science fiction or whatever. Yeah, and I, I think people can appreciate both in one universe. And, and speaking of classic horror films and gothic literature and stuff. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Dracula Society of Maryland sure. that you're involved in. So the Count Dracula Society was something that was around when you were a kid? No, that was back... That goes, the, the original Count Dracula Society goes back to the 1960s. That was, that was founded by a gentleman named Donald Reed in, in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, then... In the late 70s, a gentleman in, in Baltimore named Thomas Schellenberger founded a branch of that, the Dracula Society of Maryland, here, and I became a member of that as a young boy. And as you said, it's a nonprofit organization devoted to the serious study of horror films and gothic literature and also the supernatural to a certain extent, though it, it, we don't in any way uh, endorse or encourage actual belief in the supernatural. The Dracula Society has nothing, no official uh, uh, policy on that. It's, you know, individuals, they wish to believe such things. We're, we're interested in uh, how these things, real or not, are used in fantasy fiction, both books uh, and uh, films. Well, you know, something that I think is interesting, a lot of the idea of what we have of ghosts, vampires of you know all the all the supernatural creatures seems to come from a lot of that gothic literature so when people when people have unexplained things happen to them in their life the the first place they'll go to to try to find some kind of reasonable explanation 
would be you know the fiction they've read or the movies they've seen or things like that you know when they say like well you, you're never supposed to disturb a graveyard or i mean you know disturb a grave or something because then the ghost will haunt you because they saw that in you know a right. film or all the un they, they see a spirit in a hotel or something like that and they think that it must be some kind of unfinished business that the spirit uh, has i will swear to you there are people out there and you'll find them on uh, facebook and twitter especially uh who call themselves paranormal investigators if you read, they seem to think that the show, you know, the show's uh, Supernatural. Yes, a uh, very good show, by the way, in my opinion. But obviously, you know, complete fiction. These people, uh, I hear them quote things directly from that show as if they are reality. When we were talking about, um, you know, the people that have actual, you know, problems or mentally ill or they're having trouble in their life and, and they're having experiences that might be abuse or addiction, like we were talking about before, um, when, you know, all of a sudden that person's talking to a paranormal investigator who's quoting, you know, a TV show at them where, <laughs> where people are fighting Satan, I think there's a danger there because it's like, well, that, that person might think that they're seeing something, but they need help. They, you know, spiritual help is one thing, and being able to talk about things with a priest or a counselor or something is one thing. But feeling that um, if you have weird emotions on the inside and you think that it's being caused by an evil spirit that needs to be, you know, expelled from you or something, and you get somebody telling you, oh, yeah, we'll we'll take care of it. <laughs> like, we'll expel that spirit from you and stuff. I... I don't mean to be a naysayer, but to me, that seems dangerous. There are some people, too, and I know this just from getting calls back when I was more actively doing it as as a paranormal investigator, who uh, basically just want to to say that they had all of these paranormal investigators in their house. And if if you go there to to supposedly investigate, I mean, investigate their supposed ghost or whatever, they'll say, and then... uh, Three weeks ago, the, the paranormal society of whatever was here, and 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 a few months ago, we had we had uh, whomever, someone who who heard us a guest on coast to coast or whatever, and, and oh, and then next week, um, Bishop um, whomever is coming over. You know the latest supposed exorcist. You feel these people are like uh, making a list of what supposedly famous paranormal investigators have been to their house. <laughs> Right. And, you know, it's, it almost becomes like, a, um, you know, a hotel that wants something like that says like the president slept here or something like that. Right, right, all right. these people come around. Well, that's that's interesting. So, Daniel, if people want to find out more about you, this, the kind of stuff you do, you still do um, magic shows regularly? Sure, sure. I do uh, private parties or, or theaters or events, or festivals, wherever, wherever they'll have me. Um, and various different styles of magic. Bizarre magic, as I explained before, is my specialty, but I've done more of the classic stuff and some of the, you know, the Houdini escape type stuff and mentalism and illusion. So sure, I, I still uh, do that and uh, my uh, writing and uh, I'm basically open to whatever uh, interesting things along these lines people uh, have. And where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, my uh, blog, which has my writing, that's uh, Romanos Magic. That's R U M A N O S Magic dot blogspot dot com. 
either, you know, look that up or just Google my name and you can find that. And uh, you'll find my contact information through that if you have anything interesting at all and willing to talk about it. Very cool. And, and one last question. When you've been doing magic or you've been doing a show or you, you, know, you were part of a, uh, an event uh, like when you were talking about with the evangelical revivals and that kind of stuff as, you know, take me home, Jesus. So when you were doing that kind of stuff and you said that people in the crowd sometimes saw things that obviously their own mind had put on there that you guys hadn't, you know, they saw things extra from what you guys were already doing as part of the theatrical presentation. Was there ever a point where you saw something where, where you were involved in a, when you were doing a magic performance or that uh, you're like, hey, that wasn't part of the act or I don't know where that came from or anything like that? Well, well again, I don't want to get too specific and encourage these kinds of things, but, but, but sure, uh, uh, as, a, as a magician, a magician is, no matter how much you know about these things, you still can be fooled. Uh, in fact, uh, um, <laughs> I remember last year, uh, Penn and Teller had a, had a TV show called Fool Plus. So, uh, they got uh, magicians to, to do tricks to see if they could do anything that uh, they didn't know how it was done. And most of them they knew because there were variations on old tricks. And almost every magician, everything's been done before by mm-hmm. someone. So you try to come up with an original variation on it. So just as, you know, a magician can see another magician do tricks that he may not be able to uh, know how it was done, no matter, even if you know that, that or don't believe that these things are real, you can sometimes see things that, at least for the moment, you can't explain. So sure, it just happened to me, and I'm sure, really, if you want to get down to it, I think it's happened to everyone sometimes. Great. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, Daniel. So, he's certainly a character. I'll say. Right? And that has a, an interesting history with the paranormal. Yeah, I, it's, it's kind of neat to hear that other perspective. I do like the fact that he doesn't necessarily say anything is true. He doesn't believe in something. And I think we get that across during the interview that when we're talking about the world of the supernatural, the more you claim to know, the less you can be believed. Uh-huh. So I think that's the uh, the message of uh, Daniel Romanos and his bizarre magic and weird adventures. Anyway, one of the things that I was thinking about with this particular interview was that um, in different times, he's been like an imposter. Like he was, you know, he was hiding as a Satanist uh, okay. when he was in the, when, when he was yeah. in those religious reli- revivals. And he was acting as an exorcist when he did his own kind of stuff. And he's an illusionist. And I like the idea of bizarre magic of using a story to then accentuate the uh, illusions and the mesmerism and stuff he performs. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that idea of being an imposter, I think, is what contributed to the, uh, the, the topic behind this week's song. Okay. So, but before we get to this week's song want to give everybody a reminder that our Patreon <laughs> will start in June, beginning of June. You'll be able to uh, right. donate via Patreon, and you can check that yeah. out, othersidepodcast.com. We'll, we'll have a link right the there. Page there. And then if you're interested in uh, joining our paranormal newsletter, where we tell you about the coolest stories in uh, pop culture and paranormal for the week, that's at othersidepodcast.com slash subscribe. And the show notes for today's episode... 
are up at othersidepodcast.com slash 94. That's right. Well, thanks for joining us today. And this next song is a new Sunspot track called In Plain Sight. I'll sit and listen to the whistings of your life. I'll be crying on the outside. I don't care about your plight. Looking side to side to find a mask to emulate. When the camouflage wears off, you'll be the first to run away. The wheels spin and the lies begin. I'll confabulate a feeling to learn the tricks I need to fix. To keep everyone believing that nothing's broken in my emotion. I must be cracked cause I'm not right Some kind of monster, just an imposter A freak that's hiding in plain sight Observing close and keeping notes of the right ways to behave To infiltrate and analyze may be one day in vain I'll shake your hand, I'll nod my head, pretend to give a damn I'll respond to every cue, but never understand The wheels spin and the lies begin now for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Unusual.